I'm Steve, and joining me, it's, uh, it's Adam Myros again. Uh, hello, Steve. Oh, another week, some more boys in loincloths. How you like that? Uh, it's going well so far. I mean, it yeah, really has. Yeah. I thought this was going to be a bit of a bumpy road, and I, I think one of our our best moves was swapping out the Death Stalker series for the uh, the episode that we're doing today. So good on us. Nice little pat on the back. Although we may have some some Death Stalker faithfuls coming after us. How do you, how do you feel about that? No, no, no. This is a this is a much better series than Death Stalker. I, I think mean, the only reason that uh, this has less like cult notoriety is just because uh, Death Stalker is a little catchier title than Ator or Ator, depending or Ator. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jack Easton also here. Jack, you an Ator guy or an Ator guy? This is great. You know, great question. I I think frankly Ator, but I think that's like only one of the movies. I think most of the movies, they stick to, like, one pronunciation mostly throughout. So it's like three is Ator, and mm-hmm. one, two, and four are Ator. And I'm just always, mm-hmm. I'm just reminded of the uh, Spring, or the Simpsons episode where they, they filmed Adam Man, the movie. And when Rainer Wolfcastle or whatever was, was learning his line of up and at him and going up and at them. It just, it just, that, <laughs> that joke just kept playing through my mind every time they played, like, anyone would say this guy's name. So you know it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. You know we're in for a fantastic I mean, time. Jack, what you just said would make more sense than the actuality of it, because it is not, in fact, 1, 2, and 4 where he is called Ator. It is 1, 2, and 3. So I, I would think, like, Ator could be the Joe D'Amato canon uh, pronunciation, but in fact, 4, Quest for the Mighty Sword, which is directed by Joe D'Amato, is... is the one where it goes full Ator, oh, which is... Ator. I could have sworn they call him Ator yeah. at least once in three as well, but to be honest... Oh, they certainly do in, in two as well. Uh, there's there's some discrepancies in the, what, the vo- I mean, vocal maybe it's maybe it's different because we got Miles O'Keefe in uh, Ator, one, two, and three, and then in four we got uh, that fat guy who's not Brian Bosworth and has a bad hairline. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Quest for the Mighty Sword guy. What's that Ator? I... <laughs> Who the hell uh, his name is Eric Allen Kramer. Eric Allen Kramer. I'm sorry, I called you fat Brian Bosworth. Eric yeah, Alan no, he's just, he's just a husky boy. He's uh, he's not really fat. Either. He's not he looks fat. Like he's he strong. The shit fat. out of any of us. <laughs> this this is a, a major differentiator in these movies because like Miles O'Keefe is like lean and cut, but you look at him and you're like, okay, he's ripped, but in a like Olympic swimmer kind of way. Like you think like maybe I could take him, but. Uh, I don't think I had that Brian Bosworth. <laughs> yeah, Eric Allen Kramer, much like Brian Bosworth, looks fucking country strong. <laughs> oh yeah, real country strong. Just, uh, just a corn-fed hog molly, and I love him for it. And but I, I think he could snap me in half. It's it's like when you oh, see yeah. a guy like like Brock Lesnar. I mean, Brock Lesnar's in the gym probably six hours a day, so he's fucking ripped. But he's just a wide boy, and you know the moment he stops lifting weights and doing cardio, he's blowing up. And so yeah, that's, that's the difference. Eric Allen Kramer, though, he will snap you in half. He's one of those guys that goes to like strongman games and like hauls around cars and shit, throws trees. Uh, so yeah, way, way different. So, I mean, I guess this theory would pan out if his name was Ator and he was the son of Ator, but in mm-hmm. fact, he's the son also of Ator. So <laughs> I think yeah. you've given this more thought than Joe D'Amato and crew expended throughout the mm-hmm. whole thing. I think they just, they ran with whatever, uh, 
It's very confusing. Which, it's and me. that's another theme here, because I think anytime we've covered Joe D'Amato's films, we're probably giving more thought to the movie than Joe D'Amato did. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's like a shark. It just has to keep going forward. That's the Joe D'Amato <laughs> methodology. And Joe D'Amato has made movies about sharks, so he knows what he's doing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Fair, oh, he, well, I don't know. Have you seen a shark movie? Because <laughs> <laughs> we cover that one. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, so Ator slash Ator, what is it? Well, it's Sword and Sandals Month slash Sword and Sandals and Sorcery slash Conan Ripoffs slash whatever the fuck we feel like covering. Guys without shirts and a lot of muscles. And the, the first one in this series is Ator slash Ator, The Fighting Eagle. How do we get this movie? Well, there's a little film that we also covered called Conan the Barbarian. It was wildly successful. And if something is wildly successful... What do you get? Well, you get Italian ripoff. And here we are with Ator the Fighting Eagle. What now, are you talking about, Steve? I see no connection between this film and Conan the Barbarian. They're, there's a good reason distinct. why. <laughs> they are very distinct because at the time, pre-Conan, uh, our boy Joey D and his homie, uh, Michelle Suave, who we've covered before, uh, of Cemetery Man fame, they were working on a script for another standby of the Italian ripoff uh, schlock film industry, which is a, a Hercules movie. And <laughs> wouldn't you know, Conan the Barbarian blows up. It's huge. So now we've got we've to swap out Hercules for something a little more Conan-y. Although it feels a little more Beastmastery than Conan-y to yeah. me. And what do you get? Well, you get Miles O'Keefe who is, uh, as we previously mentioned, uh, very square-jawed, very lean, very cut and muscular, very handsome. Uh, his breakout role was in a 1981 version of Tarzan. He, he's got a Tarzan look about him. And uh, yeah, uh, great-looking dude here, but I don't know if he's got the acting chops. And uh, anyways, he's cast in this role. And how do you differentiate? It's a wonderful question. And one thing about Conan the Barbarian, or Hercules for that matter, is neither one of those iconic characters were ever motivated by their desire to fuck their sister. Am I right? <laughs> this is brave, a true. brave new strain of screenwriting that Tomato and co. Have, have burst onto here. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> and and I, I love this. It is a rich vein for them to tap into because... It's a movie that uh, under no circumstances needs to be about wanting to fuck your sister. And yet they are committed to this. Basically, yeah. uh, Ator is, he's orphaned, he's adopted by this family, but he doesn't know he's adopted, which is great. Uh, he has no idea. But he's like, I am in love with my sister and I simply must fuck her. I must marry her. And it gets to the point where he asks his dad, he's like, listen, I know we don't do this much anymore. <laughs> this is how he fucking frames it. He's like, been a while, but... And his dad's like, oh, are you in love? And he's like, yeah, so I really want to bone your daughter, a.k.a. my sister. I would like to marry her. And then he's like, oh, this is great, which should not be your reaction. <laughs> this is great. Dad of the year material here. Turns out you can totally fuck your sister because she's not your biological sister. She's just the girl that you grew up with your entire life thinking she was your biological sister, even though you want to fuck her 
it's fine. Could be could be a smart move uh, to keep property in the family, I guess. If maybe that was his, yeah, his yeah. going for this thing. And Ator seemed like kind of <laughs> soft in the head, so frankly, you know, it, it, could, it could work out. It's, you know, like, this is good. It's like American Samoa, where you have to marry someone Samoan, or you can't own property. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what Ator's village is. I don't know the ins and outs of this, but it's like, could she have just been a, another pretty girl in the village that he wanted to marry? Yes. That easily could have been the thrust here, but no, no, it's his sister, and he wants. Yeah, to fuck it's his it's an amazing element in this because the the subplot, the B plot, mostly to the first film is that he's he's destined. He has a mark uh, on him hidden from most of the film because I presume that he just didn't want to do the the makeup to draw it on him. That that shows that he's destined to kill the tyrant who rules over the land, but. That's not what propels him. Ator doesn't know this. All Ator knows is that he wants to bang his sister. That's all mm -hmm. that compels him to do everything throughout this movie. And then towards the end, it's kind of like this guy's in the way of him banging his sister. So he's got to go too, which turns out to be his actual lifelong destiny. But yeah, it's it's incredible to not just make that a facet of the story, but really it's the central motivating facet for the whole thing is that Ator just really is the hots for his sister just mm -hmm. incredible it's it's just such a i just can't imagine why he would make that so forward in the script even introducing mm -hmm. it at all but if you're gonna introduce it maybe i don't know don't make it the central locus of everything just maybe <laughs> yeah i don't know jack the, joe is very steeped in uh you know, a sleazy erotica. He knows how popular the old stepsister angle is. He, he this is a children's movie. You realize that's rated PG. This is yeah, Joe's well, kids. Yeah, it is weirdly like, like what is weird about all three of the A tour that Joe D'Amato directs is that they are all weirdly chased, kids friendly, like mostly kid friendly. Unless you're like kid, mm -hmm. won't want to watch them because they all kind of suck. Um, you know, the, the, the pleasures of the, the A-Tour series are not for children. Uh, it takes a special kind of a, a person like us to kind of go like, that's pretty good, actually. I kind of enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not for kids. If you put this on for your child, they'll hate you and they'll wonder what is going on. But yeah, it's, it's weird that the D'Amato, like D'Amato known for sleaze and everything, like these are weirdly chased movies there's no like this the first movie is laura gemser in it and she doesn't get naked at all she keeps her clothes on the whole time no. miles o'keefe is the more naked one in their sex scene that's mostly just her just kind of rubbing his pecs awkwardly which is bizarre because given her filmography uh she's in the the emmanuel films i i think like if if you watch enough of her movies, you've probably seen her more naked than not I, naked. Yes, right? no, it's 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 wild. And then within that, to have the central plot of the movie being incestuous, but nothing else in the movie really matching that for tone. It's yeah, there's some wild mm -hmm. swings here. The like this is I, this is what I appreciate about D'Amato. Okay, we we can talk about production value and everything, but like. D'Amato is just, he, his entire filmography is a curveball. Like, there is no way to tack down what the hell he's going to do or decide to do in <laughs> any movie. And all three of these A-Tour movies, I would say, are all objectively bad films, but also objectively fascinating for wildly different reasons. Each one of them, they're really something. Mm-hmm. I don't know, so I mean... Yeah, it's they are definitely something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I mean, to me, the weird thing about the stepsister angle, I mean, beyond uh, 
the fact that, <laughs> that, that that's in the film <laughs> altogether is that it kind of feels like it's set up to be again. We, we're, I'm trying to play by traditional narrative rules here, which is probably not yeah, the best a idea with Joe D'Amato, right? But it's set up like, oh, he's gonna figure out he, you know, he he doesn't really love his sister. You know, that's just the only woman in his life, and he's got this new. Mm-hmm warrior right. who's accompanying him and they're falling in love and, and a much you know. better match and better chemistry and yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah there's even this setup that's like oh is this a lie from the sorceress or not where uh his sister's like become evil it is, is helping the ancient spider-man or what the fuck ever and yeah, yeah so you're like oh that's where this is headed right at the end they're gonna they're gonna, he's gonna have to kill his sister, maybe, or she's turned to the dark side, and he's gonna realize he's in love with this new woman, and so Joe's like, nah, fuck that. No, no, yeah. Yeah. absolutely, the love between a man and the woman he believes to be his sister is, Joe's not gonna fuck with that, that's too beautiful a thing. No. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so let me, let me float this idea to you. Um, this was, the, the first ATOR film was 1982? Correct? Yep. Yeah. 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 Okay. So just two years earlier, Joe D'Amato does uh, one of his softcore movies with George Eastman. It's called Hard Sensation. And it's also an incest film. So it was this just Joe D'Amato's incest era? Is that fair? Like is is that just like his current fixation at the time? Or maybe it was an Eastman thing and he just like swooped in. Cause you know, you know, he used to write with Joe D'Amato a lot. Maybe he just swooped in. It was just like, you know what you're missing? The, the desire to fuck yourself. I mean, I think every, if any film, like any filmmaker is going to have an incest period, D'Amato would, he would be <laughs> the, the man guy, to right? have it for sure. I do think it is funny <laughs> that uh, although Michaela Suave apparently was involved in some degree in writing this, he's not credited. I think he knew at which point it was like, you know what? I don't need my name on that. I, my, my sure, career sure. has some juice to it. I'll be fine. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, would, wouldn't you believe that not only is this kind of a ripoff of Conan the Barbarian and other swords and sandals and fantasy sorcery movies from the era, but it also uh, doesn't seem like it had the biggest budget. And I think they had one set. <laughs> definitely one they, set. They had outdoors. Most of it looks like it's shot at a public park. If we're being yes. honest with ourselves, yeah. a lot of public park and uh, the cave set that they had uh, from some yeah. other production, I'm sure they Honestly, got good use out of that. Approximately 75 times in this film, they, they venture into another cave. Ev- everything in this movie is amazing from from a production value, because, I mean, the costuming is also incredible because like half the people are like neanderthal stone age kind of people in pelts and then they mm-hmm. just have like random warriors with steel armor and things like complete like just juddering a uh, kind of like intersection of different timelines you know within fantasy movies normally they try and they try and place everyone within the same human time frame generally speaking not an ator and yeah it, it just no. leads to like i mean the costuming everything everything in this movie looks cheap like Halloween City cheap uh, like this is a, this is a series where uh, in this movie and in the next movie they have a fight with an invisible enemy at a certain point which is as you may well know the cheapest form of enemy is the invisible yeah, one <laughs> yeah yeah and they mm-hmm. really bungle it in this one too my god it's it's fucking incredible <laughs> it's it's some really great stuff but yeah it's um it's just a lot of 
torn rags hastily configured to resemble there's there's an incredible or... incredible sequence where where they have the wedding ritual and they're just these ladies jazz dancing in like designer pelt kind of like leotards um mm-hmm. i just don't know if anyone knew what they were doing i'm pretty sure like the costuming department just made the bet like just kind of got a vague idea of what they had to do just threw it together and then whatever was ready was in the film uh, with no Jack, oversight I, i'm betting there was not a costuming department i think a, a lot of a lot of joe the way joe d works here is i think it was what was available and what did I use on another movie that is just sitting in a warehouse that I could simply pull out once are, again? Are you saying that, that Miles <laughs> O'Keefe's wig was under the, the remit of nobody on, on set, that perhaps Miles himself <laughs> was in charge of putting that on every day? I, I, don't, I think there was a little bit of money, like there was at least $5 put towards Miles. And we are, we are in Italy. It was actually shot in Italy, which is nice because, you know, a lot of caves, a lot of old shit, a lot of nice yeah. nature scenes. So you got things to work with there. Uh, but the wigs are agreeing oh in this. <laughs> yes. Uh, everyone is maybe has the like... best one somehow. It's like the oh, guy, yeah. I think the worst of the bunch is the guy who like rescues him as a baby. It is like <laughs> his, his master at some point, like teaching him the ways of fighting. And he's just the wearing guy... a mop. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And he's also dressed like a, Fucking Genghis Khan. <laughs> it's a total Genghis Khan. Yeah, you know what? These these movies just have the like the feel. They're like a Ren fest. Like everyone just showed up dressed as what they think old timey is, and there's no coherency <laughs> yeah. at all within it. Yeah, that's that's all it is. Yeah, Ren Ren fair is just like yes in the in the you know the twelfth century when everyone just dressed like a fucking elf or whatever yeah elf whatever you want to be roman centurion uh you know woke warrior uh Mm -hmm. caveman it's all good just as long as you don't show up in like a shirt and tie that's yeah don't don't wear pants and you're fine pretty much that's 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 i would think most of the budget for this movie maybe went on the bear cub wrangling because um i don't know why they have a bear cub in this movie and i kind of don't like that they do because i don't you know you see you see a bear cub show up in a joe damato movie and you're like well i don't know if that bear had a happy life but uh it's <laughs> it's in there they they get good use out of it it's doing yeah, great work i think he uh, the only thing that he spent money on because this is another thing with with joe d and a lot of low budget filmmakers is the thing that you see the most is the thing that costs the most <laughs> for sure and there's two things that are prominently prominently shown and they both would have to do with an animal wrangler so we've got the bear which doesn't serve any real purpose other than to run through scenes every scene he's just constantly <laughs> like oh another bear shot here comes the cute he, he maybe rescues someone once from a cave-in not really he just stands outside a wall but they kind of frame it like maybe the bear helped her I- yeah which is bullshit they i guarantee because there's a there's an enemy called like the the spider king, and they actually use real tarantulas for the spider king. Mm-hmm. So, and he's got one up on Fulci. Uh huh. Yeah, Fulci didn't he didn't pay for the fucking real spiders. But D'Amato he found it. He's he had a spider guy. He found a cheap spider guy, and his cheap spider guy was like, "Hey, listen, I just got a bear cub. You want a fucking bear cub?" And D'Amato's like, "Boom, that's a a production enhancement." So he probably got a two for one deal, and then he was like, "Fuck it, we're writing this bear cub into every single scene that we could possibly fit him into." And there's a romantic. And by God, he did. There's a romantic <laughs> element too, because it's like you know, say you're a man who's just very horny for your sister, and you wish to uh-huh. woo her. 
what would be the appropriate gift to set that in motion, and clearly, D'Amato believes it's a bear cub. That's what every it's woman desires. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people listening to this podcast right now are saying to themselves, I've never slept with my sister, what gives? And the answer is the lack of access to bear cubs in our modern society. It's the only, it's the only thing stopping you. This so, is the sort of movie that, like, fools people into buying a bear like oh yeah you could you could trade that thing look how cute it is <laughs> yeah like no in three years that bear fucking mauled some one-eyed guy at a circus and <laughs> this, got put down this, for sure. this one is yeah yeah i feel like i wouldn't be surprised if that bear was smoking in between shots like people were just giving it oh stuff that's like a that. working bear yeah, yeah sure. i, I yeah. could see that totally um yeah, uh, it's, uh, God, I, what was my, po oh yeah, I was thinking, like, because cause this is amazing, um, in terms of, like, how a bear, how you present that bear as being very manageable, uh, Ator is separated from his sister, she's kidnapped, the bear is left with him, they don't kidnap the bear cub, they don't need him, apparently, so uh, Ator then hooks up with his old mentor to, to learn the ways of battle, and they have a whole battle montage and everything, and the bear cub is the same size throughout the whole thing, which suggests to me that Ator is separated from, learns how to fight, how to become a great warrior, and then is reunited with his wife or his sister, whatever, all in the space of about, like, less than a month, surely, within within bear genealogy. Uh, like, they, they're going to grow up pretty quick. So, firstly, it kind of shows me, because they only had one bear cub, that this movie was shot in, like, a week. The bear cub does not change size at all. It doesn't change in any way, noticeable way. So clearly, you know, this, was your first clue to that time frame, Jack. When you saw it was directed by Jim, 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 yeah, no, yeah. We, I mean, we watched uh, what Papatopoulos with Jim Wynorski and like making a movie in three days, and we know Wynorski lied on that because there's at least one scene in that movie that uh, is not in the place that he's shooting the rest of it. So that was a fourth day pickup. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Wynorski, you lose. Joe D'Amato. Joe Damato would be like three days. That's we could make two movies in that amount of time. Why wouldn't we? We could and we could splice a third movie out of the outtakes for the other two. Easy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Joe Joe D is always making movies while he's making movies. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's efficiency. What else are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. If that's the thing, uh, if you're a a young filmmaker right now, you want some good advice. Shoot a softcore porn in between scenes for your other movie. That's that's what you do. There's no downtime. There's only softcore time. That's how Joe D did it. And look at the wonderful life. I mean, yeah, and it's like you know, Hammer used to like they'd rent, the, they had that one house, and they'd film one film indoors and one film the outdoors, mm -hmm. and then they'd swap. You know, it after like two yep. weeks, and then 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 they do, you know, they can run two things. Uh, Joe Damato had the same thing. It's like regular movie in the day, hardcore movie at night, and then maybe in between, you can just kind of like cut split the difference and have a softcore. You know, and they all yep. they're all in That's the general location with the same costumes, but just different movies. Easy. Mm hmm. Easy stuff. Uh, well, we, you know, you got to have a great villain in your Sword and Sandals film. And so Ator, uh, Ator has a villain. I don't know if we're going to call him great, but he, he is the Spider King. <laughs> and he's played by a guy. This is great, too, because you would think that if you were the Spider King, maybe your name would be something like Dakar. Uh, but no, that's just the name of the guy that plays the Spider <laughs> King. <laughs> just, he's like Prince. Just one name. Just fucking Dakar. Um, and, yeah, and he is, I think he was a pro wrestler, not like on the WWE level or anything, but a pro wrestler nonetheless. Not the most intimidating fellow, I gotta say. Uh, he wasn't, he wasn't really doing a lot. He seemed, yeah, he seemed like a very gentle tyrant, Frank. He just kind of hangs out with mm -hmm. the spiders, mostly. Um, yeah. Honestly seemed a bit and, of I mean, a shame that Ator went messing with him. 
Yeah, yeah. And he does have one very big spider, but it seems to be mostly self-contained. And I, I maybe I wasn't paying attention as closely as I should have been, but obviously Ator, he he rescues his his sister wife and and all that, and he ends up having to defeat the Spider King, which Spider King rolls over and dies pretty easily. But then he has to kill this giant fucking spider. I don't know why he has to kill the giant spider. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal, really. Yeah, I'm not sure how the um, spider functions into the, the government of the era, because the Spider King certainly is issuing orders and commanding armies, but you're right, the spider, the giant spider just seems to live in a cave everyone could just not go into. Yeah, just don't go into it. And it's got, like, it's barred off. Like, there's, he's not going anywhere. Yeah. I don't think it's a big... Just I don't leave think the spider really alone. That'll spider. be fine. You could, you could put, you know, as the new ruler, Ator could have just put a sign outside the cave telling people to not go in there because there's a giant spider, which would have been sensible mm -hmm. leadership. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. if when you kill the spider, it sets off the volcano, so really, it seems more destructive to engage with the spider, Frank. Yep. Yeah. I would leave more alone. lives totally. lost by the volcano than the giant spider. A lot, a lot of questions well, here. I, speaking of things that didn't cost any money, giant spider definitely <laughs> did not give more than a has, few dollars. Has strong this is like, elementary school energy, like school play. Oh, big time. This was about the point where, these I, movies... where I first started questioning whether there was like some sort of edict from a financier that this film had to be a certain length. Is is eight horse? <laughs> engagement with this spider which seems to go out for approximately 50 minutes so even though it's it's probably about five but my oh, god yeah. and we get, we get like a little bit of the spider's face which doesn't look great it just looks like a giant like they saw a spider <laughs> like if they they were even yeah. to tell them what the spiders look like it's a sort of a rough approximation yeah and then uh the spider definitely has a a web which I love this because at one point, Ator's sister wife is trapped in the spider's web, which is just some rope from the local hardware store hastily slung up. And then there's like a fucking like, like a plastic skeleton that you would see. It's like, it's like your neighbor's Halloween decoration it's, just kind of shoved up. Next to it. it is an incredible scene. Yeah. Cause I mean, they don't make any attempt to disguise that the webbing is rope. Everyone just has to play act like it's sticky, like a web. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable. No. And, and she's also, she's not tied to it. She has wrapped her wrists around it. And when he like mm -hmm. hits it with the sword, she just quickly un like unravels it around her wrists and she's free. Cause like they didn't even yeah. tie her to it. Like it, like for it's a web you don't need to be tied to the web it should be sticky but they, <laughs> they then made her tied to the web but then also didn't even bother doing that it's like a series of of errors compounding each other yeah it's wonderful it's i mean no stuff. one actually states that it's a web it could just be a construction of man well what's keeping the skeleton up there the skeleton is well, stuck. The, the giant spider's still down here. He's going to eat you off the net or the web, you know. It doesn't really mm -hmm. matter. I'm just mm -hmm. saying the skeleton isn't tied. The skeleton is invisibly tied to the web. Although the skeleton is obviously in a single piece, which actual skeletons aren't when you remove all of the other parts of a human. But, um, you know, it's... it's <laughs> well, the skeleton is the piece de resistance. That was the point. That, these are the little moments in this movie where I'm like, this this yeah. might be the best movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't, this is like... I don't know. We'll, we'll get... There's some wild stuff later on. This movie, to me... Like, what struck me about this film, and I gotta say, is that I, I think D'Amato has a strong reputation. Like, he's an expert cinematographer. D'Amato can make anything look okay. 
And I think what struck me about this is that this is the very first movie in a franchise piggybacking off a massively successful Hollywood movie. And I think D'Amato just about strings enough together to make it look all right. Like it's vis everything's visibly lit. Everything is like coherent in the frame. Mm -hmm. But like there's no sheen or shimmer to this film at all. In fact, like it's no. everything like Miles O'Keefe would have looked better if they didn't put a wig on him. There's no reason to do that. Like they make things look worse than they need to and then film it all in broad daylight. <laughs> so yeah. it's not like this isn't a movie where they're like hiding things in shadows. They didn't have enough money for shadows. They literally just filmed anything in just broad open daylight and just it's all there. Mm -hmm. it, it all works. But I, I guess what struck me that was amazing about this is that even for tomato standards, uh, the first first ATOR movie is just strangely uh, utilitarian just like just strangely just just basically everything's fine and just kind of there uh, I don't know yeah. it, it's utilitarian to a degree that I found uh, immensely charming where you know <laughs> just by the time by the about the 15th time where their adventure leads them into the same exact cave uh <laughs> just with a, a couple different pieces of set dressing i mm -hmm. i was just and then you know cut to a shot of a bear wandering through the woods and i'm like i i'm just having so much fun with this fucking movie i i think the shadow thing certainly when we were talking about the invisible man thing like it's set up like this guy is sword fighting a shadow and it, it's kind of interesting Except then he beats it because his magic fucking shield or whatever they flashes lights and so it's like bright light flashes and the shadow is gone or something and the problem being is just <laughs> the setup does not sell it at all because the lighting rig is such in this fucking <laughs> same cave set once again that you can just clearly see like... uh Ator's shadow like reflected on the back walls <laughs> it's just like what what they're trying to do here where you know this is magic source of light that's like blotting out shadow that has saved him from this uh dastardly fucking guardian or whatever it's it's just rather undercut when you could immediately see the, the, the things not fucking backlit at all and you can just see the shadows cast everywhere <laughs> They, they, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely, it, it's a visual idea that could have been something, but they, they were, not, they yeah. did not have the time to slow down and make it something. I think it probably one of the only things in this movie that, in any way, is halfway competent is the opening voiceover, which they got a pretty good James Earl Jones impersonator for the opening voiceover mm -hmm. in the English track, at least. I like when it first started. It's like, damn, that sounds a lot like James Earl Jones, who, of course, is the uh, villain of Conan the Barbarian. Um. So that's pretty good. Everything else, yeah, yeah, not not so much. Uh, you know, not <laughs> not 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 great, not great. But I I agree. Like all of these movies have their charm. Like I don't know some some things we have to watch for the podcast, and I'm sure like some of the things that we're going to be watching next week for this podcast, uh, they they're just like aggressive irritants, and they can't I can't even like ambiently enjoy my time. But uh, I always like hanging out with Uncle Joe. You know that's. <laughs> Yeah, this is, uh, to me, I'm, I would never go so far as to call it a good film, but uh, there's not a moment where I wasn't enjoying watching it, frankly. Yeah, this is def definitely a movie, you, you want to know the people you would recommend it to, but it's yeah. definitely, there. it has an audience. There's definitely people who could get down with this thing. Fuck yeah, fuck yeah. And this is another one, too, where, I don't know, I, I bet that a lot of people probably saw this 
you know, it was like a rental when they were a kid or uh, it ran on television or something like that. Like it just, it, it feels like it's built to be consumed that way. Like this is like a 12 year old's dream. Basically uh, it's Joe D'Amato made a good kid's movie. It's got a fucking bear in it. Uh, it's got a giant spider who looks like he's made out of brown gym socks. It's wonderful. And uh, I mean, and how do you defeat a giant spider? Well, you have to, you have to like take the washcloth off of your shield and shine a light on it. That's, that's how you do it. Right. I, that really? didn't really defeat the spider. That just defeated the spider king. I, 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 no. I guess he was like using it to blind the spider or something blind while he walked spider. up and, <laughs> yeah, and slowly hacked away at it for what seemed like 20 well, minutes. It, make, it makes good sense. Spiders have like eight eyes, so they are probably very prone to blinding. That's how that would work scientifically. Yeah. Sure. Makes perfect sense. Uh, well, <laughs> after this movie wrapped, Joe D heard that they were going to be making a sequel to Conan the Barbarian, so he decided, you know what, we're going to shoot another one of these immediately because we got to beat Conan the Destroyer to theaters. <laughs> this is another hot Italian move, too, where so you rip off a successful movie and then you try to get your sequel into theaters first <laughs> so that you can confuse more people. And so that's when we get uh, Ator 2, which... I love this bit. After the first Ator movie came out, Joe D'Amato did interviews where he's basically just shit talking Miles O'Keefe. And was just like, yeah, like he's got the look, but he's a piece of shit actor and like his fighting skills suck and he was a big pussy and I hate him. And then he decides he was gonna cast Miles O'Keefe in like, it was like an Adam and Eve movie. But then Miles O'Keefe backed out of that on religious grounds. <laughs> so he's like, okay, I'll just bring you back as a tour. <laughs> so it's like, sure, you're going to shit talk the guy in the press. And then you're like, come on back. We need you. Dude, did Miles O'Keefe come with back? Muscles. Did he come back? Oh, yes, he, he did. did. So. <laughs> bet smart. Sweet ass he smarter, did. smarter Joe D'Amato to get this working out for him. Uh-huh. It's really great stuff. So that gave us uh, the Blade Master. And <laughs> some of you may actually know the Blade Master because it played in like a, a fucked up, like re-edited version. Uh I, I don't know if this was what the American release was, but uh there was there's like an edited version. It ended up on Mystery Science Theater 3000. So there's Which I believe is called chance. the Cave Dwellers. The Cave Dwellers, yeah. So there's there's a very good chance that if you're not Italian, you were exposed to Ator 2, a.k.a. the Blade Master, a.k.a. Cave Dwellers, because of the Mystery Science Theater 3000 cut, which is uh, somehow dumber than what we get here. But uh, yeah, it's basically the same movie as the first one, except he's not trying to bang his sister. There's a snake no, instead of a dead. spider. And uh, his sister's dead. And there's no. a hang glider. So it's maybe it's better because of that. I don't know. This one feels more competent, but I don't like it as much. Why is that? You see, you see I'm, I'm the other way on this one. I think this is, uh, this is a step up. And I, I would agree with you. I think this movie is worse than the first movie in almost every single way, except for the last three minutes where it's <laughs> revealed to be, and I'm not making this up, everyone, this, this is a sword and sandal movie, that it's revealed to be a cautionary tale about the atomic bomb, but only revealed yeah. in the last three minutes. And for that, I gave it three stars on Letterboxd. I was like, that's fucking amazing. 
I don't understand how any of this works. I am. I will never like. I will always be thinking about a tortured blade master because of this stroke of genius yeah. from Joe D'Amato. It's a movie uh, that's making choices at every turn. Like it starts with this fucking again. You want to talk about when the hell this movie takes place? <laughs> Usually, you're thinking of like Sumerian times or something for a barbarian film. But I this opens with like. A bunch of cavemen, like, <laughs> brutalizing people and, like, talking about how everyone on Earth is a savage. So it's, like, Neanderthal. It's really confusing. And then also, then we cut to a medieval castle, and it's just like, what there's, the there's, fuck and, is don't, and don't forget, Adam, there's also samurai in this movie. Yeah, samurai, samurai, cavemen, and, like, 18th century nobility all just kind of, like, hang out together in this world. And an A-bomb, so and yeah, the there you go. Yeah. At, which, which, uh, it's like, he loses, his wife is dead, uh, we're told that because after the caveman thing, it immediately <laughs> goes into a, a, like, complete recap of the first film, and then it's like, ah yes, his wife is dead, and now he's holed away at the far ends of the earth with his fucking Asian pal, <laughs> who is a samurai. <laughs> Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, makes it always makes sense. Well, one thing I really love about this movie, and it is brought up towards the end, uh, where he's defeating the main villain, that someone says, like, no, don't kill him, Ator. Leave him to the high court of the peaceful lands. Which is an amazing mm. thing to, to insert, that apparently there's some kind of, like, NATO uh, a group here, which, which makes it... Can you imagine a group where in which it envelops samurai and Stone Age men? Like, <laughs> like you would think to, to have any kind of compatibility for a court system to have any sway here, everyone would have to be within the same, god, I don't know, 50,000 year period of human development, <laughs> but no, not at all, that's not how things roll here, and that's not even getting into the hang gliding. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I have some information here, and I want to make sure that I was, I was correct when I was describing the production around this movie, and... Uh, Miles O'Keefe's involvement, despite getting shit-talked by Uncle Joe. And it makes a little bit more sense. The reason that Miles O'Keefe was involved was because he was going to play this Adam and Eve role. He backed out because of the religious reasons. He didn't feel comfortable. However, the reason that he had to be an Ator 2 was because he was under contract. And so he was contractually obligated to make a film with Uncle Joe D'Amato, uh, but because of the terms of the contract, which had time constraints attached to it, basically they had to film it in 1982 or Miles O'Keefe was out of his contract. So they just filmed it in December of 1982. And D'Amato was quoted saying, quote, uh, Ator 2 was made in great haste and almost without a script. <laughs> this is very <laughs> <Don't> believable. <laughs> very believable. But it was made with a hang glider, goddammit. It, it. Got it was also made with... We, we complained about the wig, uh, wig works of the first one, but our, our main oh, villain boy. in this movie, and the villain in this is by far and away the best. <laughs> it's David Brandon, who's a mainstay of Italian cinema. Look him up. You, you, if you don't know the name, you know the guy. You've seen him if you watch... Italian genre cinema in the 80s and 90s yeah. and he's he's a good actor he's actually he's a very capable actor and that comes through here but they, they slap him in the most comically absurd wig and mustache I maybe have ever seen in a movie like genuinely mm -hmm. Leslie Nielsen has put on better disguises for comic effect in other movies like this is just below Z grade dressing and he has and still Brandon 
out thespians everyone else in the movie while wearing this comedy fucking handlebar mustache thing. Like, he looks like Genghis Khan, like, in a drunken Again, frat Genghis thing. is all over these yeah. things. It's amazing. Uh, he also, the problem is he weighs like 110 pounds, <laughs> yeah, he's, I think. He's not exactly an ideal foil. No, he's a very diminutive uh, warrior king. Uh, very strange. Energy. Like when he shows up, first off, I didn't recognize him because of the terrible wig and makeup. But then he just, he was just, he kept being in the scene. He just kept being in the film. And at a certain point, I was like, oh shit, he's like the main dude. Uh, he's, that, that's it. And then I was kind of like, Oh, and, and it's David Brandon. No wonder he, he enunciates so much better than everyone else. It's because he's acting out through this comic mustache. Uh, really uh, kind of like, God, you know, frankly, better than Dakar or Dakar or however, however it goes for the first <laughs> the first movie. Uh, Brandon's something special here. And I think the fact that he is such an unconvincing villain is just kind of like uh, that he has to rise to kind of counteract that makes it pretty special frankly and th and they're all chasing a doomsday device which uh, aforementioned turns out to be an atomic bomb maybe we're not sure we don't really know i i don't think i think ator destroys it with <laughs> well he idea yeah, does he destroy it and it is an atomic explosion in which case bye bye ator but then he comes back for two more oh, movies very very simple. i don't like, know it's unclear yeah. whether this device is an atomic bomb or ator has himself somehow crafted an atomic bomb <laughs> ator seems like he's kind of split it out of he seems like he's i don't know he's 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 a wise man in this film he's been studying under this uh, grand master for many years <laughs> he's so fucking wise that in the first movie half of his Subquest was getting a magic sword, and in the second movie, he just has two different swords. He's now the yeah. blade master. He doesn't need the sword he was fated to get. No, no, he just his father's sword. You just fucking threw it in the trash can. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you could have two cool ninja swords. Come on, it's way better that way. Uh, I and I don't know if if we need to clarify this or anything, but when we say he, you know, a, an atomic bomb is detonated, it is important. To understand that the footage they show is like actual, like, here's Hiroshima blowing up. It's like fucking just like archive nuke footage. <laughs> it just, yeah. just hits us with that and then just rolls the end credits like that was a completely reasonable thing to do. It is incredible. Yeah. Like, this is just, you. if you show this to any kind of a dedicated scriptwriter, I think their jaw would just be hanging aghast at the audacity of Joe D'Amato to do this. And I think that's beautiful. It really is. It's nice. Yeah, there's a. I think both the first two films end almost the exact same way, except this one has the added spice of the atom bomb. But they both are like, here's a bunch of National Geographic footage, uh, and then we'll briefly cut to uh, our two leads like running through a forest and freeze frame on it in credits. Yeah, I mean, and and it's worth noting that this movie ends. The voiceover is like, you know, but will man once again discover this terrible power? And it's like, okay, so like, I mean, I, I, this is why I'm proposing, frankly, everyone should, like, some cinema somewhere should run an ATOR 2 Oppenheimer double bill and play ATOR 2 <laughs> up front, because I think that would be an incredible segue. Mm hmm Well, it's, it's just two different versions of history, really. You know, oh, yeah, I mean, like, Oppenheimer invented the bomb, and you're like, well, I don't well, know. Well, he had to, because ATOR destroyed it, and so someone had to come mm -hmm. back in, and it took that long. It took a genius, yeah. you know, many geniuses working in unison to, to recreate what ATOR tried to save us from, and that's a, what ATOR hang-glided in 
to I, I, I don't remember where he gets the hang glider, but that is also an incredible no, he, decision. It's not expressed. It's not expressed. Right? <laughs> he's just, sure, okay, there's, there's no explanation. Good. He's just like I thought. I was maybe I having will, a stroke. I'll be right back, and then he immediately. <laughs> <used his hand laughs> That's another thing. Any budding screenwriters out there, you ever need a solution to a problem? A quick "I'll be right back" can solve basically anything <laughs> it's it's really impressive the hang gliding too because they actually got a dude to put on a tour's like pelt loincloth costume and go hang gliding for the long shot and it's just a regular hang glider obviously for safety <laughs> reasons they had to use a real hang glider for it and it's just a dude up there probably freezing his ass off in in fucking furry <laughs> underpants and then they do a close-up of miles o'keefe in the hang glider you know like obviously on a soundstage or whatever or in joe damato's backyard who the fuck knows and they've wrapped they've wrapped the frame of the hang glider supposed frame in like rope to make it look like it's an old rickety like oh someone just made a hang glider out of wood and whatever you would make the sale of a hang glider out of in stone age times um but it's like it's a big colorful hang glider like it's just a modern it's whatever they had it just i mean there's just such a beauty to a film that can absolutely surprised you in the way this film can in the way all of these films do like th there really is and I, I know we're talking about oh they're kind of goofy and and dumb or whatever like this this is like quick like lazy filmmaking not lazy i guess but like you know slipshod filmmaking but there there's just something to be said for being like absolutely prepared for a movie that can just like go anywhere at any time based on whatever problem they had to solve that they don't give a shit about. Like, there's no internal logic mm -hmm. to any of these movies. They couldn't give a shit about it because internal logic is for people who have time on their hands, and they don't have that. Yeah. So, bye-bye, yeah. internal logic. Here's the movie it's anyway. Just pure, just, like, instinct, pathos, just whatever. Like, how do I get from A to B, and I don't actually know what B is yet, but I'm just getting there. <laughs> You're just going. Yeah, um, there's th there's a lot of this movie that is uh, completely baffling for sure uh, in, in both good and bad ways, like where they go back to Ator's village, which was uh, destroyed in the first film, uh, by all rights doesn't exist, but maybe it's a different home village, like it's his father's home village, but I don't know who his father is in this sense, is it? Is it his mystical father or his uh, adopted there, father? There doesn't appear to be knows? any continuity between any of these films. Right, yeah, but they they almost are like acting like there is in this one. They're like, oh yeah, we're going back to the village, and then the village is just a bunch of evil guys, and they get this time instead of spiders, we have snakes, and that is uh, about where this movie kind of loses me a little bit. Is is just like that snake sequence? Holy <laughs> shit! It, it uh, talk about your stretch for time. Like, yeah. uh, inexplicably, the villain is like, I also present you with five maidens to sacrifice. And y y these are the things you would usually do, like, oh, you'd, they'd show the first one being sacrificed, and then we'd be focused on Ator, like, trying to get out of his uh, ropes, and, you know, instead, it's just, like, in a line, over <laughs> and over again. Uh, now we're going to sacrifice the second woman. And it's just them throwing the, uh, the woman after woman into this fucking pit with like three garter snakes. <laughs> and it just goes on and on and on. Oh, it's the, just like, the big <laughs> snake, though. Oh, the big snake is great. Incredible. Uh, and once again, this is this is film school. This is film school in 90 minutes for you. If you're a budding filmmaker, you need a giant snake. 
just get a truck tire and wrap it in a blanket and then just put a person <laughs> in the middle. You got you got yourself a fucking snake. I, mean, I, I got to say the snake is better than the spider from the first movie. Um, yeah. It it does look better. Well, and I think the smart move here is the spider is it, it, like everything in the first Ator movie. It's just broad daylight. <laughs> it's all it's all the, the, the seams and, and everything wrong. Just broad daylight. There it is. The snake is kept in the shadows. So, yeah, it's. It's wisely not shown as much, but also clearly a fucking truck tire wrapped in a blanket. So, yeah, there's you know. there's like a give and take where uh, the first film does a lot better with the live animals. You know, it's got real tarantulas crawling all over. It's kind of cool. And here, when we're forced to uh, look at real snakes, you're like, oh, this is just fucking sad. Yeah. It's <laughs> the least convincing thing I've ever seen. I'm like, are half those snakes dead? <laughs> You can't, you can't rule out. I love the the dressing for that too, because they sacrifice all the maidens down. They like fall down a hole, and uh, there's like five just skulls at where they fall down. But that's it. There's no other bones. It's like the all the snakes eat everything. It's just the heads are left behind. I guess is is what we can discern from that. Just yeah, I uh, wonderful it, stuff. Uh, you might think there's some exaggeration here, but I, I they literally sacrifice eight people to this goddamn snake. This is five maidens who are introduced at the last moment. Then there's this other guy who was condemned to die with Ator and his his lady friend. And then they get to the lady friend. Uh, we unfortunately don't get to Ator, so we only have to sit through uh, seven separate <laughs> sacrifices to the snake. That's how you know shit's real bad, though. You know, makes you sit through it. It's like it's like that's it's art film. You know, make you make you go mm. through the repetition. It's basically like Jan Dillman, effectively. <laughs> There's, there's no difference. No, there's no, it's the same, same principles, academically speaking. So, gotta <laughs> hand it to D'Amato on this one. Oh my god. Well, you know, part of the reason why Joe D'Amato may have ended the, uh, the second Ator film with a nuke exploding, maybe he was done with Miles O'Keefe, maybe he was done with Ator, and he said, I just, I can't do this anymore, I gotta make other dumb shit. And so he thought, hey, that's that's a great way to quite literally nuke Miles O'Keefe off the face of the earth and get rid of Ator. But unfortunately or fortunately, someone decided to resurrect Ator. And in 1987, we took the jump from PG to PG-13. We said sayonara to Joe D'Amato and hello to Alfonso Brescia, uh, who is famous for directing absolutely fucking nothing you've ever seen in your entire life. And, I'm going to guess commercials. Uh, probably. I mean, I, okay, so if you, if you go to his IMDb page for uh, Alfonso Brescia, his number one thing in, his, in the known for second, uh, section is 1974 Super Stooges versus the Wonder Women. So... That kind of gives you an idea of what he's done. Looks like he did a bunch of creature features. Uh, the Conqueror of Atlantis in 1965. Gladiator movie Il Magnifico Gladiatore in 1964. Just a bunch of shit. I mean, he did. He well, did if you just like, look at space. how this looks, would it surprise you if he was like a fashion photographer or something? Like he's he's doing like fucking Prada ads or something. Yeah, he seems like he's he's a commercial director for sure unquestionably like m movies doesn't seem like that's his thing <clears throat> now here's where it gets weird 
So Joe said, fuck it, I'm not doing it. Uh, or, I mean, I don't know what the decision was here, but... I think I Alfonso had seen online that it was uh, due to the, there being no third Conan movie. He, he just didn't think it was uh, worth pursuing. <laughs> that makes sense. There's, there's no reason to continue if someone else isn't doing a better version already. Yes. And also, like, no Red Sonia respect here, clearly. So we get the Iron Warrior, and, and the reason why it's so bizarre is we have talked at length, we're all big Joe D fans here, if Optimism Vaccine had a, there was a patron saying of Optimism Vaccine, it might be Joe D'Amato. And he is frequently able to take nothing and create something kind of stylish and compelling and very cinematic out of absolutely fucking nothing. He's also a sleazy old bastard. We like that about him too. But the weird thing is, if I didn't know who directed any of these, and you said, Steve, name the Joe D'Amato movie, I would be inclined to say Ator 3, The Iron Warrior, is the Joe D'Amato movie because it is infinitely more stylish and, and kind of just fucking weird and disjointed compared to all the other movies which are clearly made for children. Yeah. There's also boobies in this one. Yeah, yeah, no. See, this is too stylish for Joe. Joe... Joe is much more of a utilitarian than this. This is some high-grade, like, masturbatory film. Like, if you said to me, like, this was, like, a Suave's first film uh, that he had to make in three days or something, I'd be like, yeah, that checks the fuck out. Because this is, like, so hyper-stylized. Like, it's I don't know. Much- I mean, what about 1983's Conquest? Like, don't you think Conquest kind of, I mean, Conquest has a lot more fog machine going on, but yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. yeah, it's, it's a similar vein. And I, I think this is like, it is surprising to me because you say D'Amato is kind of the guy you can make something out of nothing. And also like, I just don't understand how Iron Warrior 3 looks vastly more expensive than the others as well. And I, they do film in Malta. They oh. use, they actually use a set from Popeye from Robert Altman's Popeye shows up. Oh. But, but there's sh- also, I'm a fucking idiot. I'm sorry. I need to interrupt you. Conquest is Fulci. That's why it looks. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I oh, yes. yeah. No, no. <laughs> Conquest is Fulci. Absolutely. But, um, yeah. but similar, like, yeah, th- this movie, uh, is, it's crazy. I don't know how the third part of a, like basically rip off franchise manages to, get the money or the wherewithal or the, the staging to look as good as this does. And the whole thing in this movie looked like literally you, you could throw like a Roxy music song over any scene in this movie and it would just kind of work. It, it The whole thing just looks like a weird 80s music video of women in like see-through like wafting clothes just kind of walking around on a beach that's this whole movie and also i think brescia gets should get credit in that this is the first of the movies that actually shoots miles o'keefe like he's actually the star of a movie i i can't understand that damato didn't like the guy because he looks just schlubby as shit in damato's films because i think damato just didn't care and didn't like him like this movie has like heroic close-ups it's got like dynamic camera work around him it's got lighting like contrast and things it's it's really like my, for me far and away this is by far and away the best of the three of the four films we're discussing in terms of like you could just sit someone down and go this is a great example of italian genre mm-hmm. filmmaking and yeah the story is nonsensical but it's kind of like it doesn't matter it's it's all vibes no, and at a certain matter. point it's yeah. just kind of a, a mysterious quest and it kind of carries that energy through they they go and just do some stuff for some reason um yeah, it, it this is this is exactly the kind of movie you would have thought D'Amato would make because it's got naked ladies everywhere. It's got comical gore. Um, 
but yeah, it, it's it by far and away the the best of the films. I think for actually just sitting down and just enjoying in the concept of like it's a fun, cool looking film, but it also doesn't mm-hmm. have any of the curveballs of the earlier films because I think they just didn't need to do that. They didn't need to go weird with it. Yeah, yeah. Now, I and the biggest takeaway is yes, it's stylish, but like you said, Miles O'Keefe actually looks like a hero in this. Whereas when Uncle Joe shoots him, he he just looks like a a really jacked guy who works at a grocery store. <laughs> right. like you get you don't get any sense that he can he can do anything heroic ever. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think Jack certainly likes this a little more than I do. I think it's pretty uh, remarkable in in spurts. Like the the beginning of this film, you're like, whole especially coming off watching the three Damados, I was like, holy shit. Somebody's like going for something here. This is like some high effort shit. Uh, it's it, it really settles into more of a uh, ATOR mode at some point where it's just kind of like back to the caves, everyone. Uh, we got to get in these caves. And I don't know, like, I think it's edited very strangely. Like, it doesn't read like the motto to me because it's probably like the least functional like i just don't have any idea what's going on in this movie but that's <laughs> point, really. i think that's the benefit of it like i said i really it just feels like a music video it just it just feels yes. like kind of a just a series of images of scenarios yes. and situations that how they are joined together entirely uncertain but in the moment yeah, at any given and there's point, also a lot of like there's still a lot of shaggy dog shit in oh this yeah movie too like there's there's every time they're like riding on horses, uh, they, all of a sudden, magically, Miles O'Keefe and uh, Savina Gersak are like wearing like scarves that cover the entirety of their faces because it's not that there's uh, some uh, subtle use of stunt doubles instead of the actors. It's just like no, these these are scenes that exist uh, filmed entirely with with different actors with the the leads not even present at all and it's just like here oh i guess this guy can vaguely uh pass for miles o'keefe uh let's have a bunch of horses throw a net on him or something. i mean some and, of the doubling in this is comical one of my one of my favorite yeah. moments is where um they throw a, like a shapely sexy witch woman over the back of a horse and then in the next shot the guy in the horse is clearly just holding down the most unevenly stuffed human pillow i've ever seen and it felt like just actually a lumpy uneven shaped nonsensical thing and yeah part of that's the fun later on our hero our, our heroine gets dragged by horses and it's clearly at certain shots it's just a red veil that's supposed to be her dress there's no nothing there in other shots it's kind of like they get kind of part of a dummy but it, it's just, like, absolutely careless as hell. But, you know, what are you going to yeah, do? and there's, like, there's, like, four separate fucking cliff falls with <laughs> Dummy, too. And the one that's Ator, which is him not, not falling to his death. It's, like, him diving gracefully into the water. The Dummy's, like, flipping all yeah, over. It hits the rock and starts <laughs> flipping. And you're, like, maybe they could have thrown something off a cliff a second time to make that look slightly in tone with Ator being okay. <laughs> now, why would you do something like that? Come on, come on! Oh, it's so uh, good. Yeah, I don't know. Is is this the best Ator movie? Uh, depends. 
that's like, you know, what's, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? I think there's a lot of good flavors out there, and this is a very different fucking Yeah, I, I think it depends It depends else. on the kind of Italian cinema you're looking for. This is more like you're interested in, like, the giallo kind of, like, Mario Bava kind of build up something that is cinematically interesting from very simple, basic parts. I think that that's what this movie is. The other ones, the D'Amato's, are very much the... We made a movie with almost none of the things movies are made with. <laughs> it's it's a different mm-hmm. thing. It's like Joe D'Amato's like, I have a camera and I know how to use a camera. And D'Amato is a superlative cinematographer. Um, He just, you know, but he's just working in a vein where he doesn't get to do the things other cinematographers do. But he shoots shit he should not be able to shoot with, you know, no time and money. So, yeah, there, yeah. there's kind of a different kind of vibe between part three to parts one, two, and four. Uh, it's a yeah, choose, choose your poison, essentially. It reminds me a lot of uh, the late era Italian horror, like the people who came post Argento who are still like going for that hyper Baroque style, but don't really have the storytelling chops. Like uh, yeah. maybe a Lamberto Bava. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. This is like the Lamberto Bava, like delirium, giallo face where it's like, it's yeah. definitely, it's, it's cool looking. It's got some stuff going on, but like also, yeah, if you try to explain this to someone, Good luck. Why, why is no. stuff happening? Yeah. Totally unexplainable. I guess even even some of what we watch with uh, Diodato is in this vein, too. Oh, yeah, I can see that, for sure, for sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. This is, it's, it's a total different flavor of, of Italian schlock, and it kind of depends on what you're looking for. Uh, but, you know, sometimes the flavor you want is just pure, uncut shit. Just a big fucking tall boy cone of excrement and nothing tastes better than the return of Joe D'Amato in a tour for quest for the motherfucking mighty. He's sword. looking for a sword again. Like this is a man who can't hold on to a sword. Absolutely. Yeah. He lost it like immediately. Cause he had to become a two sword guy. <laughs> and, uh, not only, not only did he lose his sword, but we lost miles O'Keefe in favor of the aforementioned Eric Allen kramer who i fucking love here's a guy who is definitely bald now but he was well on his way then uh, <laughs> kind of like a hulk hogan type of type of hairline almost maybe not that severe but kind of got a, a real dauber thing going on yeah yeah uh husky fella and the other thing that i love about him and this is this is why quest for the mighty sword which is unfortunately only available on vhs horrible a tragedy needs a full 4k restoration because eric allen kramer is crimped crimped his blonde locks are just totally dried out and crimped like a fucking teenage girl in 1987 and it looks amazing uh so he is a man who can conceivably hurt you like you're fully aware that he can harm you but once again joey d shoots him (laughs) Like he's the schlubbiest man on earth, <laughs> and it is wonderful. It is. It's great. Um, he look. I mean, honestly, he looks just bemused by the whole film unfolding in front oh, of yeah. him, and he's having the best. Yeah, time. it's it's yeah, it, it's kind of pleasant uh, on that front. But yeah, you're right. I mean, this is again, we're we're back to no glamour. No one has any glamour in this. The female lead of this movie is introduced across the opening credits, like running, like she's got a terrible message to 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 
kind of deliver urgently and then her first actual dialogue it seems like they actually made her do all the running and then deliver it because she's genuinely out of breath <laughs> yeah she had to run from one shot to the next the second unit was shooting her running through the woods and then joe had her sprint to her mark and just deliver the line it's it's insane and then her costume is i mean we've talked about the costuming in joe d's movies but this is 100 percent like oh you went to walmart uh, on you know the week before Halloween, and all they had was the Hermes costume. <laughs> it's it's basically like the the Big Lebowski uh, bowling alley dream sequence, but like like yes. the Halloween yes. city version of that costume. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Oh, this and movie. The the rest of the costumes, as we speculated in Jody's first two movies, it was what do you got sitting around? What have I used previously? What can we repurpose? And here, it is clear as fucking day because these are the same outfits that were used in troll 2 so uh, why does quest for the mighty sword have all these uh little disgusting goblin men and the answer is because uh you know that's what one of the most remarkable things about this film is firstly the acting is not good or particularly convincing in any of the previous is that remarkable yeah, no 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 <laughs> it, i want to say in the previous three a tour movies the acting is never particularly good like david brandon gives it his best uh, but like there's limitations Somehow, Quest for the Mighty Store, Sword, Quest for the Mighty Store, with that might sell good costumes, <laughs> I think might be what they were looking for. The Quest for the Mighty Sword, the acting is notably worse. Like, it is remarkably worse than in the previous three movies. And then on top of that, D'Amato is so confident in the Goblin costumes or the Troll 2 costumes that he gives not one, but two, maybe three major roles to people in those <laughs> costumes delivering enormous amounts of dialogue. I would say confidently three, three if I had any confidence as to what the fuck was going on. I mean, movie. yeah, it's worth, it's worth yeah. mentioning in this movie, by the way, it, Ator dies at the start of this movie, right? This is actually Ator Jr. is the guy in yeah. this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Which, yes. for well, no reason, that, you wouldn't think it, it's still the same actor. You, right? Yeah, yeah, it's not it's, they got Miles O'Keefe to play his father, and he dies in the first scene, and we have a new one. No, it's a new actor playing Ator and then playing his son. Because <laughs> why wouldn't <laughs> you? Great. Fuck it. Fuck it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the the first like Goblin Man that we're introduced to is this like. I I don't know. He's he's like a fucking uh, wizard goblin, basically, and he gives like an erotic potion to Ator's <laughs> like his mother. I don't fucking know. Yes, his, yes, his lady his mother. pal. Yeah, his mother, and then and then the goblin like fucks his mom. Yeah, she's and then goblin down where it's, on like, the goblin. Zoomed in, and she's like filleting his goblin nose. <laughs> This is, uh, again, this is, it's hard to describe how, like, this, if you said this was the worst movie you'd ever seen, I'd give you some respect. It's up there. It's up there. Uh, as far as, like, real movies, this is a real fucking <laughs> Nothing works shit. right here, yeah. Yeah. And, no, it's but, great. I love it. But, yeah, it's that's, so like, this good. is a good example of this fucking I guess he's raised by this troll, uh, because his parents yeah. are, well, 
His mother commits suicide, well, supposedly commits suicide, asks the troll to give her poison to commit suicide, and instead he gives her an erotic potion, and <laughs> at which point she's cursed to roam the earth as an eternal whore. Uh, <laughs> worth mentioning also, just within the context of eternal whore and a woman going down on a goblin, uh, that this film is again, like, PG, and has, like, that, you know, instantly recognized, like, 90s kids music, like, midi file quality yes. of music through oh, that's yeah. where i was going with this troll is because we're already aware of this context like this guy and so is is ator and ator is trying to kill him at every turn but every time he comes on screen the music is like i'm like this this yeah, is this pretty like fun. a rapist <laughs> like why why is he like a jaunty good time pal this troll i don't know i mean okay like aside from like the the erotic potion and the and the like the nose fellation and all that other stuff like let's set that aside i think his his little like his little thing that he does with ator where Ator's like, I'm gonna kill you because you banged my mom and turned her into a whore. And then he like whacks the goblin on the head with a sword and it breaks. And that happens like three times. It's, it's so amazing. Fucking funny. Yeah. <laughs> That's a legitimately Ator's good gag like, in this oh, horrendous again. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. And then at one point he just like he's pissed because Ator has, has like tried to bop him on the head with a sword for like the ninth time and fucked it up. And so he just blinds Ator and then locks him in a cave and goes, I gotta go get some groceries, I'll be back. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> funny! This movie is, yeah, it's a wild assemblage of things. I, I wonder, is this the sole sex scene of the troll costume? Like, surely that didn't happen in any other movie. That requires the twisted no. mind of Joe D'Amato to go, like, we, we can make that work. Yeah, I think this is the, this is the only one. I'm I'm pretty sure. Well, Troll um, One has some sexy shit in it, but it also does not use these uh, costumes. Uh, it's no, a different no. caliber of film that. But I don't think anyone is banging a troll in that movie. No, there's no troll sex outside of this that I know of. That I know of. Uh, you know, asterisks. We don't know. But yeah, I I don't I don't fucking know, man. I love the troll people though, because the other one, he works for the king of face boils i guess i don't i don't know what his deal is he's got a lot of face boils and he's really sweaty and he's got this troll and this troll's gimmick is the absolute worst dub conceivable <laughs> is my lone character trait it fucking rules because every time, like, the king is just like, Oh, Ator, how has he come here into my kingdom? Blah, 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 blah. I have face boils. And then they go over to the troll guy. He's like, Why, yes, this is my voice. I am your <laughs> troll servant, and I will now do exposition. Like, it's, 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 like, it's like car commercial shit. It's fucking nuts. <laughs> it's amazing. It's totally recorded in a way that is completely not aligned with any other audio at all in the entire fucking thing. It's insane. No, and what I love about this is that, like like I say, like, D'Amato just figures that the troll costume is so convincing and, and just plausible that he will just rest the camera and stare straight at it while it's delivering all this dialogue, clearly dubbed, while the mm. mouth just kind of, like, shatters like a Muppet. Not like Muppets have good <laughs> lip sync. Nothing like just Just yeah. general movement, like someone is, like, trying to escape from the costume. It's, it's just incredible. And like you say, he delivers exposition like this dude talks for a long time in this movie oh, forever forever 
And then I think about, okay, so Joe D, he shot a tour two without really a script. It makes me wonder if they're like, okay, the entire purpose of this character who looks exactly like the fucking rapist wizard, but isn't his entire purpose is we're going to film him at length with static shots with his mouth just moving erratically. And then whatever storytelling we need to like fill in here, we're just going to have him <laughs> say it. it. And then we're fine. That he's, like, he's like a safety net for the narrative. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. And, and they ended up leaning on him heavily. So good thinking, Joe. Well yeah. done. Good thinking, oh, Joe. But whatever the fuck is going on with the sound in this movie, at, at times I'm like, is this like breaking with tradition and recording live? Because I don't understand how it could be as fucked as it is. Like, all the mixing is a goddamn mess where it's like birds are just fucking blasted off in your ears. And it's just like <laughs> crickets are burying all the dialogue. And there are, there's the one that uh, this is the first of these movies that Steve and I have, uh, saw like many years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. Because I think we were watching every movie. <laughs> designated as troll three at the time um and it always stuck out because there's a, a really prominent like flub in this movie that is completely inexcusable to me in a final cut of a movie like uh yeah the woman who plays the love interest just like uh, completely chokes on a goddamn line and joe's like Whoop, good to go and it's it's not lip synced at all she's facing completely away from the camera it would be the easiest mm -hmm. fix in the world yep. but it's just yeah. like fuck it and there's also one i noticed this time with with that second troll fellow he has a, a definite gaff as well and i'm like did this get i assume this is all dubbed like it's gotta be but how the fuck does any of this happen in the sound mix? I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> I Yeah, I'm really no, it's, not it's sure. <laughs> I, I think there's, there's possibly it was direct sound because um, I don't like it just it fits very well in other places like the lead. She he's I don't know. It's, it seems like he, it seems like he is saying his own dialogue like direct. But I mean, that also leads to kind of funny things because whenever the dialogue gets screwed up by other people, you could see people like corpsing you know when she when she completely flubs that line on the, the campfire that you say could easily have been fixed like her mouth's not even visible on the screen this would have been so easy to post dub fix in it's like everyone else stutters for a second on the thing because they're like he's gonna yell caught like we're, we're not using that take. it's like nope keep going yeah. so now so one take joe on this one it, and it is it's it's totally inexcusable and because clearly they overdubbed the troll here there's there's overdubs that are being done I don't know if the actress was just so disgusted with the the process and the idea of spending five more minutes with Joe D'Amato that she simply would not record an overdub, but I, I don't I don't know what's going on here. It oh, is, get another it is actress an to just do the line, for God's sake. That would be yeah. a lot less noticeable than this. Yeah. 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 It it really is. Like I I have never in my life seen a feature film with a flub that prominent. That's just in the final cut. It's fucking amazing. It's like Joe didn't even watch the movie as he was editing. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, just edited on feeling alone. Earlier this week, I watched like Black Dynamite, which is a very funny movie that has a bunch of mistakes, quote unquote, in them that are you know completely on purpose. And several of those mistakes are less glaring than shit that's just in this movie. So yeah, it's just there. yeah, it's it's pretty impressive. Um. Yeah, there's other elements to this too. Like one of the things I really loved is at a certain point they have lava coming coming downstairs, and it looks I like it on it looks like pasta sauce. 
and like <laughs> I really the way it moves and the way that's like because it's like a li- like a more liquidy part comes first and then there's kind of a little more solidness to it on the back it's like I think they just poured a jar of pasta sauce down some steps <laughs> like it is cheap yeah it's it's pretty rough it's yeah pretty I couldn't rough. even begin like the plot of this feels like half a movie at best because the whole thing is like uh Ator's father is killed by uh, I guess this would be our third troll uh, to bye bye which is like Thorn who I don't know if he's supposed to be a god or what it's unclear uh but he just kind of shows up and throws a spear through Ator and so the whole thing is like all right, he's got to, once he gets his sword, when he turns 18, that the troll is holding on to, the, the other troll, not Thorn, the, the father rapist troll, uh, then he's going to go rescue this woman uh, that he has decided he loves, I guess, uh, who is also a god, maybe, but now that she's been rescued, <laughs> she's become a mortal. Yeah, yeah, um, she has to be immortal for some reason. Don't yes, know why, don't uh, remember. So, at that point, they're still concerned about this thorn fellow. They're like, oh, thorn, he's co- he's coming for us because, you know, we both offended him. Uh, we got to get, we're going to go to the far east or whatever. We're traveling east to get out of the land of thorn. And then they just get kidnapped by these, you know, like, brother and sister uh, who want to fuck both of them. Uh, and yeah, that is, so you're like, okay, this is an obstacle on the journey. This is. This is one of many side adventures that occur in an Ator movie. No, that's just the whole, it becomes the whole plot. <laughs> like, <laughs> we, we vanquish this, this brother and sister, and then the movie's just over. And you're like, wait, what, what, what about Thorn? <laughs> <laughs> is that him who pops up at the end credits and goes like, booga booga boo? <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to wait for Ator 5, which is definitely not yeah. happening. No one is rescuing oh. this franchise. It's... So, someone needs to. I, I don't know how this has been dormant for so long. We need more Ator. <laughs> don't forget also... I, I had a great time with all these. There's there's yeah. not a dud in the fucking bunch. No, uh, I'd agree. It sounds like, it probably sounds like we've just been talking shit the entire time, but honestly, this is like, this is a good fucking time. Yeah. Oh, especially Quest for the Mighty Sword. Like, I will I will throw on Quest for the Mighty Sword for anyone. I, I will fucking throw that thing in and just let him watch the little goblin man suck on that lady. <laughs> Quest for the Mighty great. Sword also has, uh, <laughs> I think it's worth mentioning, um, the great battles that Ator Jr. Uh, overcomes in this, which include a robotic pair of Siamese twins, kind of. <laughs> it's, so good. Oh, God, yeah. it's like a boss glitch in Dark Souls. <laughs> they can't fit through a doorway, so he just stands there while they press up against a doorway. And then it turns out that they're not the only thing in that fearful cave and Ator as we've we've mentioned spends a lot of time in caves because after that comes melty Godzilla which is like sweaty Godzilla <laughs> which is just like a, a human sized man and like just a regular guy in like some kind of a lizard costume but just just more moist than you would think would be possible um, it's well, an incredible special the, the effect the costume is actually melting Jack that's the problem <laughs> it's, it really is like it's a cheapy rubber Godzilla man it's just like a six foot Godzilla 
but there is like he does breathe fire in the beginning and then he gets <laughs> progressively wetter and, and less shapely so it's entirely possible he's actually melting yeah this these are the, the magic moments of the ator series i think that that is a thing like frankly if i choose between shadow fighting in the first one or robo siamese twins followed by moist godzilla i would i would take the latter that's mm. far better lineup yeah yeah also, well, this movie ends with a, a tour, and uh, guys, just correct me if I'm wrong, but at one point, a tour just magically gets a wrist crossbow and kills someone, and there's yes. no mention of that previously. Is there? <laughs> no, that just no. happened. It just no, it magically that... appears. Okay, uh, cool. It, it's spliced onto his arm. Because <laughs> I, I, when that happened, I was like, "Did I miss the mention of that?" But I don't think I did. Nope. I think that's just nope. fuck it. We need we no. need to fail. We need there's to end all this. That's the great shit. Like. Even when he's, the, the whole thing is just like, it feels like a shoddy fantasy video game. Like, there's a scene too where him and his lady are like running through some fucking tall grass and then all of a sudden a bunch of enemies just pop up from the grass. Like, they just jump out. It's like, oh, random battle encounter. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking shitty. I love it. Yeah, this is, this is one of the best movies of all time, honestly. Uh, 10 out of 10 fucking stars. Track it down. Don't don't buy an expensive VHS copy off of eBay like a sicko. Just there's there's torrents out there. There's ways. It's probably on YouTube. Yeah, I'm idiot, you can always email us at optimismvaccine at gmail dot com. Uh, we'll yeah. be happy to uh, aid your quest for the mighty sword. Yeah, th this is the kind of yeah, movie yeah. that we got, I, we got the plug. Th this is the kind of movie <laughs> that I think if you put it on YouTube, uh, it wouldn't get struck down for copyright. It would get struck down because someone involved in it just didn't want anyone to see it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. All right. Well, we got to wrap things up. So, Myros, what are you putting over this week? Oh, by the way, uh, I think this is actually streaming, too. Yeah. Quest for the Mighty Sword oh, is, streaming? is streaming on Prime, it looks on like. On what? On Prime? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, someone probably uploaded it to Prime illegally. Um, yeah. Um, I believe the only one that was really tough to track down was the second. Uh, the, or, no, yeah, it was Ator 2. That one, for some reason, nowhere. Everything else, yeah. you can find it on uh, your various tubies, because that's where these sorts of things live. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. but i i have not watched anything this week uh i suppose i started playing uh mario plus rabbit sparks of hope um uh, i could put that over it, it, it's i'm having a bit of a complex reaction to the thing thus far because it, it's quite a bit different from the previous game which i would uh wholeheartedly recommend uh, mario plus rabbit's kingdom battle i think that's uh one of the best titles on the switch uh whether you believe that or not because it, it seems insane to say but uh it, it's legitimately something quite special and uh this one i'm not sure yet i'm having fun with it for sure it's 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 definitely worth a look if you can get it for a good price but it's it's quite is luigi bit. still op because he was he was a fucking killer in the first game he is it's just a very different setup i, I feel like the characters are a lot less uh distinct i would say and uh. the systems are simplified i think they were definitely going for uh broader audience on this one but uh it's understandable it's uh, it does lack a little of that uh, that spark ironically but um i mm. would say it is still well worth your time so so considering what i've consumed this week i'm gonna go with that fair enough jack what do you put over this week yeah i'm, I'm gonna put over uh soy chang's mad face 
which I had the the good fortune of actually seeing in cinema this week. It's it's kind of you know Chinese and Indian movies do tour U.S. cinemas, particularly in the big cities, but they just kind of like pop up for four days with no advertising and then they disappear again. Uh, so you really you you got to try and catch them when you can. So I was I was pleased to be able to watch this one. Um, because Soi Chang, obviously his last film was Limbo, which is frankly incredible. He's made several other incredible movies like Accident, which I think might be still on Netflix. Highly recommended. Great thriller uh, director and horror director. But uh, Mad Fate is a, an interesting one because it's it's kind of like a madcap thriller about a kind of maybe mentally ill astrologer who is basically trying to stop a serial killer because he believes everything is basically tied up in fate and god god wants the serial killer to succeed and for a friend of his to be the serial killer and he believes he can undo it all by basically by feng shui and various astrological predictions and so on and and moving stuff around a really strange film that i guess ultimately is kind of about you know how things can be set in stone or how fate you know the 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 blurred line between fate and choice if you believe something to be fated you choose yourself into it and so on and so forth very peculiar strange film i i don't think it's as good as say uh Kai fis detective versus sleuths which is a very similar kind of like crazy pitch to it like they're really heightened kind of madcap films um, not quite on that level, but really great fun. So uh, if you see Mad Fate playing near you, definitely, I think, go check it out. And if not, um, I, I don't know. Actually, I honestly don't know if Limbo ever got US distribution otherwise for home video. I'm sure it must be streaming somewhere, but you're probably better off to just go on Twitter and see if anyone's uploaded it. Uh, that might ultimately be the fate for this one as well. So just keep an eye out and see what happens. I know uh, fan subs exist for a digital copy for it because uh, I remember seeing the guy who did the subtitles complaining about how much astrology shit there was to keep track of. So yeah, check it out. Mad Fate by Soi Chang. All right. Well, this week, first off, I want to say uh, I'm putting over the fact that 88 Films doing Optimism Vaccine and the various Optimism Vaccine fans a solid. They are putting out Iron Warrior, a.k.a. Ator 3, on Blu-ray for a new 2K remaster. So you're getting that. However, I'd like to put this out into the universe. We need a box set, okay? Give me all four ATOR movies in a box set, Vinegar Syndrome, Severin, whoever's listening, you need to make this happen. Get to it now. Please. Yeah, I thought it was Thank crazy you. they were only releasing part three, and then having watched all of them, I'm like, oh, I, I see why they're happy enough to I just release now. a third one as standalone. <laughs> but I agree, yeah, no, yeah, you should, if you want to watch all of them, you have to watch all four ATOR movies. You have to. Mm-hmm. You have to. It's a rule. Now, what am I putting over this week? Well. Last night, I had the privilege of going to a local movie theater and seeing the latest Neil Breen film, Cade, The Tortured Crossing. And it is, uh, it is something. Uh, last time I saw a Breen film in the theater was 2018 when Twisted Pear came out. And it played at the same theater, which is the, uh, the Oriental in Milwaukee. And the Oriental is a, it's a really, really old, like 100 plus year old like movie house fucking old and they have one big room huge big balcony whole thing and then they have two smaller rooms and when i saw twisted pair it was one showing 
played in a small room. There's about three fourths full, which at the time I was like, no, it's not bad. You know, that's pretty good for a Neil Breen movie. And Cade the Tortured Crossing sold out the main room. It was nuts. Absolutely packed in there. Uh, unbelievable. Now, more chuckle fucks than you'll want in a, in a theater for a Neil Breen movie. But I will say, uh, this is Neil Breen's most ambitious film. Uh, I, I would probably say it's his most expensive film, but all of that money doesn't necessarily tra translate to higher production value. And it's also the first time that he's made a sequel because it's actually a direct sequel to Twisted Pair. So you do get the second Neil Breen on screen with the, uh, the beard and the mustache, which is always a joy. Um, it is very abstract, <laughs> even if you've seen Twisted Pair. Cade the Torture Crossing isn't going to make a lick of fucking sense. Uh, I think Will Sloan saw it in Toronto and he described it as uh, what you get when an empty head dreams. And I think that's a wonderful, wonderful description. It is a movie without any physical location, so far as I can tell. It is 100% Shutterstock stock photos with Neil Breen and various other actors and actresses green screened over it. And there is a, uh, a CGI white tiger that also appears. And I think that probably soaked up a lot of the budget. So this is maybe Neil Breen. I, I, I hesitate to say like growing as a filmmaker, but he's, he's changing. He's evolving as a filmmaker. And it's, uh, it's clearly a fucking masterpiece. Like everything the man has done, but it is, unlike any Breen that Breen has Breened before. So I, I highly, highly encourage you, if you have the opportunity, see Cade, The Torture Crossing, or, you know, just buy it off of one of his weird websites, because we all know that Neil Breen doesn't have one website where he sells his movies. He sets up a new website for each new movie where you can buy the individual movie. <laughs> this makes sense for a man who uh, also uh, just creates separate tweets like he does tweet strings, but he they're all separate tweets. He doesn't know how to reply to it, like create a chain. Yes. Similar. So yeah, it makes sense. His his website, same concept. He's he's a man of everything standing yeah. alone. He is he's one of a kind. I remember when when Jake interviewed him years ago. I think it, it might have been around the time when Twisted Pair was released. Jake asked him about his influences. And he said he didn't have any. <laughs> <laughs> but also, it's like the more Breen you watch, you're like, I genuinely believe this guy doesn't watch movies. And I think like he's, he really is like he's only concerned with creating whatever the fuck's in his head. He doesn't care about other art or anything else. It's wonderful. Yeah. A, an amazing man, Neil Breen. Uh, oh, and, and also another important distinction about this movie. It's the first time that there's a dance number in a Neil Breen movie. And for a man who has made a career of making movies where the lead female character clearly does not want to touch him, this is a whole new level of that. <laughs> You've never seen a woman less interested in having any sort of chemistry with Neil Breen before. It's great. So check that out. Check out some ATOR movies. Uh, write your local congressman and tell them to release ATOR movies on Blu-ray or 4K. And hey, if you like the podcast that you are listening to today, do us a favor, click the link in the description of this episode, and that will take you to our Patreon page. And why would you like to become a patron? Well, it helps us out because podcasting is expensive. We got to pay for hosting and 
all kinds of doodads and thingamajigs. Uh, you know, maybe maybe I could have bought a replica sword for from Quest for the Mighty Sword. We could have uh, dressed Adam Myros up as a, a little sexual assault goblin. I could have hit him over the head with the sword. But, you know, we, we don't have enough patrons yet to make that dream come true. You can make the dream come true. And... For that, for that, for your donation, any level at all, you get one access to the Optimism Vaccine Patreon feed, which has tons of exclusive Optimism Vaccine content, both written and podcast. And there's new stuff that we try to put out uh, as frequently as we can. So all kinds of stuff that are that's Patreon exclusive. And if you live in the continental United States, I will send you a movie from my personal collection straight to your door. Imagine that, a movie from me. It's going to be good, it's going to be bad. I, I don't know. What's the format? Impossible to say. It could be anything. Uh, there's some actual, I got, I got a box of shit that I'm sending out to people, and there's some good stuff in there. Uh, there's also some stuff you probably don't want to get. But whatever. It's a free movie. On top of that, at the $5 level, you get to vote in patron-exclusive polls, so we're going to have another one of those going up soon for the month of September. You'll get to vote on an episode. And uh, you'll also get your name read out on the air if you're $5 and above. So, Myros, who are our five and above friends? Uh, we have David, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. God bless each and every one of them. Now, if you really want to be an Optimism Vaccine supporter for $25, we have a special treat for you. In addition to everything mentioned before, you get to choose an episode. You can, you can pick anything you want. Anything. If you're a real Deathstalker guy and you're like, God damn it, why didn't you guys cover Deathstalker? Jim Wynorski's Deathstalker 3 is the greatest film ever made. If you feel strongly about that, you want us to cover Deathstalker or anything else, anything you can think of, good or bad or anywhere in between, we'll do it. $25, that's all it takes. And that can be a one-time or a reoccurring, whatever you, you feel like donating, uh, that's what you get. So uh, it's a pretty hot deal, pretty hot deal. Now. If you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Adam Myros, as always, standing by, smash and refresh on the inbox. He has absolutely nothing better to do. Or you can tweet at us, at optimismvaccine, and uh, we're, on, we're on the old blue sky now, too. So if uh, you're one of the hip, cool kids who got an invite to that shit, uh, you could be one of our eight followers or whatever <laughs> fuck we have on that platform. No one's there. Uh, it, it's funny, though, because, I mean, not that my Twitter follower count is high, but goddamn, if I had that many followers on Blue Sky, I'd be like the most popular guy on the fucking website. So anyways, uh, yeah, we will be back. Sword and Sandals Month marches on, and we've got another one coming. And I think is, is the next episode, that's the last one for Sword and Sandals? That is episode five, where we will be looking at uh, some more modern incarnations of the genre. Wow. What a treat. This month has gone so well for us, and now I feel like it's going to take a nose. Yeah, probably. Thanks a lot. We'll be back.